leaders. What keeps you up at night? Welcome to The Sweet Spot, the podcast series that expands the traditional term of what a boss is to tackle some of the most important issues in business. From business as usual and growing your market to everyday leadership issues or handling one in 100 year events, we aim to provide ongoing inspiration and education for CEOs, founders, management, shareholders, and leaders of every stripe. The sweet spot is the future of work and business. Hi, I'm Emily Svartlanak, and today myself and Dwayne Alexander are speaking to Mike Pohio, the chief executive and soon-to-be chair of Naitahu Holdings. Mike's management and governance career spans 40 years across a range of sectors. He was CEO of Tainu Group Holdings from 2006 to 2015, a period that saw the balance sheet grow from 300 million to 900 million and included the development of The Base, Ibis Tainui Hamilton and Novotel Auckland Airport. As professional director, Mike has extensive experience across a range of sectors, including agriculture, city regeneration, energy, fisheries, investments, logistics and property. His current directorships include Argosy Property, Protuiti 15 ILP, where he is chairman, and Te Atiawa Iwi Holdings. Mike holds an MBA from IMD, Lausanne, an FSC from the Chartered Accountants Australia and New Zealand, and is a chartered member of the New Zealand Institute of Directors. Mike, welcome and congratulations on your chairmanship role at Naitahu. Wow. Thank you. Yeah, well that done. doesn't happen until December, but in focused still on the chief executive role, but very much looking forward to 1st of December. Yes, well done. One of the things that I found fascinating, a little story you told me, I think it was last year sometime, was um, you you previously told me about the five ends uh, in leadership. I think it was inclusion, integration, all in, inches, and insane. <laughs> Um, movie buffs will recognize the clip which we'll sh- put in the show notes uh, from Al Pacino's motivational speech in any given Sunday. But for those who, who are not in the know, maybe unpack what that means. So the, the five ins, Naitahu, a portfolio of businesses, and at the time that I started in January uh, 2020, one of the first things I did was to have fortnightly meetings with those five chief executives. And at the very first meeting, I wanted to set the scene as to uh, why we were there. And it was only for a, an hour to, uh, and for us to discuss group matters. So whereas there were five significant businesses, uh, I didn't want to show and tell and go away and continue. It was, it was a focus on group. So, so one of the first things was inclusiveness, that we will, my intention is that we will operate on an inclusive basis, uh, that we will look to integrate and, and talk more about a group. And where the inches comes in mm. is that in that speech that Al Pacino gives, he talks about on a playing field, it's in a physical sense, inches to get from one point to another. And the, uh, in the metaphorical sense, to achieve that next inch uh, is a function not only of the individual but the team. Yeah. So, and he's talking about when you're up against it, right? Because I love what he said, heal as a team or die as individuals. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll claw for that inch. You'll fight for that inch. Yeah. Knowing that there's somebody behind you and with you, that's how... Yeah. Well, so, that's a great call to action for the individual group 
leaders, right? And there's a lot about those micro decisions, those micro interactions that we have that accumulate up into, you know, quite substantial things. You you might not think about it at the time. So in that sense, an inch, every inch counts. And you don't see many words like insane in board papers. <laughs> no, that's right. So that clip that yes. I that I um, talked about, I actually sent a copy of it or made a reference to it and go and have a bit of a look yes. afterwards. And insane, we were talking before about music and, and um, one of those uh, songs that I love is uh, that song Crazy and the rendition of it by Whitechapel Jack. So in that sense, you may think this insane because I'm going to try a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not sure what's going to work, but uh, we need to be able to look at lots and lots of opportunities. Just as we're clawing for this inch now, we, 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 we may need to be in a different part of the field in a different way, and we're going to try stuff. So, you know, you might think I'm, in, I'm insane. I love the way you did that because, I mean, gone are the days of the five-year or ten-year plan, it, you know, and at the time that you were doing this, it was like, well, a three-month plan would be great. Yeah, yeah. And the last one, uh, all in, yeah. was to say, and they knew that, you know, most of my career has been in the North Island and I was moving from, um, from north to south, uh, and it was a statement to them that I'm not here just to commute and see this as a job. Um, uh, that is located in Christchurch, and I live in Christchurch. Uh, I live in in, in Hamilton, uh, so I'm all into this um, this business and where it needs to go. Going from that and just taking it all the way back, let's go forty years back. Did you see yourself where you are now? Did you visualise that you'd be busy with board roles? Was this part of the plan, the big master plan, or was it? Was it a completely different journey from you? And can you talk us through that? When asked about, you know, how have I ended up where I am, uh, I've described how in a pinball machine I've been the one, I've been the pinball bouncing off all of these things before you, you know, go out the back door. Uh, It has not been a linear trajectory and it has been very much opportunities as they've come, support in, in all manner you know, starting with Fano, um, but then with mentors and those that uh, have been looking for particular things that, you know, I've filled that space. So I, I certainly didn't start out and uh, thinking of being in this. I would love to have been, no question, but not knowing how I would get there. There's also that element of uh, once in the role, really challenged with how it is that you fill it out and, and it's amazing how personally people can grow when not only given the opportunity, but also given the responsibility. So I've had that. I've seen it in others. It's possibly sometimes described as imposter syndrome, that you get into this circumstance and feel like an imposter. But actually, in a, in a lot of cases, you just grow out to, to actually be the person that needs to be. I've certainly found that in many roles, including this one that I'm in now. Mm, that's wonderful. So you really aim to fulfil your potential in every role you and have. And and it flows on to um, one of the greatest uh, joys and achievement is to uh, enable others into that circumstance and, and see them flourish and grow. So have there been any key milestones for you in your mind where you say, okay, this is a point in my life where I grew the most? Um 
I know you've got an MBA or was it sort of that was a, okay, I, I didn't think I would do that. That was a huge milestone or was it something completely different where you saw, okay, no, but there's a person that I have been able to grow into their own. Can you talk a bit more about there's, those? It, I think there's a lot about looking back and knowing that, you know, I talked before about those micro interactions and micro decisions that, that accumulate up. There's probably more about that that I can look back and know that all of those things that led up to that was a was a good formula. Did I start knowing that one plus two plus three plus divide by five and you'll, you'll get to the answer? No, I didn't particularly start with a formula. It was, I guess, an accumulation of things. And, and increasingly over time, there's, there's uh, um, an intuition about, you know, what is the right thing to do in the right moment. One of the good learnings that I had was when I did the MBA in Switzerland, one of the phrases rings, there's no perfect answer. Love so that. an answer is required. Recognise that you've got an incomplete set of uh, facts in front of you. Uh, there are some things that you need to achieve and just go with what you think is the best and deal with whatever consequences there are, positive or negative. Well, following on from that, you've led Notahu through significant changes and challenges, including COVID-19. Can you explain your approach to change management, knowing what we know from you now in that there is no perfect answer? <laughs> As I went into the role, the, the, um, the need to change was well known, quite what it changed to was a little unknown, but it was to move from a subsidiary structure to an operating structure. That is the rationale for five significant businesses to have their own board of directors, their own chief executive and management team. That was changed as a function of recognising that that structure actually enhanced silos. Mm. So the momentum to make that change uh, was done as I came on board, accelerated through 2019 and crystallised in, in an engagement with the shareholder in August 2019 that agreed the disestablishment of three of those boards. So I started in January 2020 with the intention of embedding that operating structure and operating model. It was accelerated by COVID uh, because our tourism business and seafood business went to zero income and uh, we needed to make change. There was a very strong demonstration of a sense of entitlement. So at the change that was, that was made in the very first instance was a function of COVID. But as the more detailed work of what we changed to, the research highlighted that we were embedded with an overhead that was not sustainable and was actually uh, holding us back from our operating earnings meeting our distribution. So in the, in the very first instance, it was, well, how, what's our total overheads? And it was X. And that shocked me in the first instance, had, had, yeah. <laughs> and then and others. So it was just slash that. Well, as a follow-up to that question, hundreds and hundreds of directors around the country had to face restructuring uh, and COVID forced it on them. What is the secret to maintaining culture and building culture while you're restructuring as a conundrum for directors and management? That, that's 
that's somewhat difficult because there's this knowledge that um, a, a business is in a particular state for a set of circumstances yeah. and, and reasons of, of, of historical. Mm. But it becomes easier when one looks at what the business is and just take property, for example. We have an investment portfolio and a development portfolio. Mm. So what do we need? In the investment portfolio, we need asset managers and facilities managers. In development, we need development managers and project managers. Okay, that's property. Everything else becomes a support function. And having recognised that the completion of our shared service model needed to be done, yeah. it was to carve out all of those other functions out of property that was the core and get to those skills and and experience that were necessary. So we went from 54 down to 18, just to those mm. four types of... And do you build a new culture then? Or do you bring some elements of the past and go towards something? We needed to do two things in property. One was to focus on the core business. The second was to integrate within the portfolio. So that leads to an overall view of poster restructuring. What do you do? You're not going to do the same as you did before. In, in our case, I recognised we needed to pull the team together, uh, say this is what was, this is where we are, this is where we're going. And to uplift the team came up with more than just a phrase. Uh, and in Māori, it's taraia te anamata tauana, which translates into carving a legacy of excellence. So that was the theme when we brought the 60 uh, leaders in Naitahu Holdings together to say the restructuring is in, done. We actually have some outstanding businesses and we individually and collectively can be excellent in what we do. So let's go. Perfect. We attached names in the case of the leadership team uh, of Naitahu Holdings. Uh, that is Konuku. And if you're ultimately looking to carve something, you need to find the right tree. So the tohunga will go through the forest, identify the tree, and then there is the splitting of the tree. That's the start. Okay. So konuku is the splitting of the tree. Yeah. So we set the frame for the rest of the yeah. team. Te Awa is the name given to our general manager of corporate services. They create the lines that allow the connection across the businesses. Te Pākati is... Uh, and you see a carving, you'll see notches that enhance the visualisation of the lines, and that's our general manager transformation. So we we gave names that set the context. It's storytelling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So it adds context to everything you do. Yeah. So the the carving metaphor was was uh, was used, I guess, specifically because we are. Uh, Māori and, and that has a, has a, a place of Absolutely. Uh, preciousness or taonga. How does that come into aligning the various business entities' objectives into the whole? A couple of parts. The first is also at that, at that conference, uh, I said, this is not my business, it's your business. So that thought of direction from the top changed. And it was to um, to reinforce that individually, you're in charge. You have the ability to make decisions. In fact, you have the responsibility to make decisions. So 
the your business, not my business, was a way of clarifying and um, giving credence to the fact that we have these separate parts, we have these separate businesses, and, and you should know what you need to do. The second part was to um, recognise that the diversity of portfolio is important. So we have farming, we have seafoods, we have honey, we have tourism, we have property. And so we need to be excellent in each of those, right? So that's the, the second part is that be good at what you are there for. The third part is that we will operate in that inclusive way. We will come together, we not forced in a, in a hey, we're going to have this meeting on this day, blah, blah, blah. We, we're not going to do that. What we have done physically is to bring everybody onto one floor. The core of our business is on the second floor in Tafari. And through that proximity, there's, there's much better connection and inclusiveness uh, rather than having a ivory tower down the road and another one out in the countryside. So that third part of uh, us all interacting and it was cemented, I guess, with shared services that we said are business partners. That's the approach that we're going to take. They're not back office people that, uh, you know, you don't see. They will spend two-thirds of their month supporting you. The other third of the month is getting their immediate mahi done, getting the accounts out and, and two-thirds doing the value add. So that having a, a business partner... And, and operational excellence is the focus of the business units. Service excellence is the focus of the shared services. Yeah, Mike, so it looks like you're structured for growth now. Um, moving along to some of the potential growth initiatives, Naitahu Holdings has recently invested in Pioneer Capital. That's very much in your wheelhouse. Uh, but it was a couple of days ago that the announcement came out of your investment in Fidelity Life, which seems to represent a diversification. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's, uh, I guess, the crystallisation and demonstration of the strategy that we, or the refresh and strategy that uh, we did in January, February 2020. So the shareholders set the scene with an investments charter that they signed off in November 2019, clarified the goal of the tribe, clarified the goal of Naitahu Holdings and um, gave, uh, gave birth to regional economic growth. So the, and, and they had uh, some preferences for us. So what changed, and it, there's, there's a, I guess a significant piece of background here, that's why I'm dwelling on it. What changed was from a traditional investment approach, a more directive, prescriptive approach to the investments charter, more enabling, we responded to that by this, this strategy uh, or refresh of strategy. And there were two themes. One was optimised performance, and the second was tilt towards growth. So the first part was about getting ourselves match fit and continuing that excellence in operational performance and, and service performance. The second was in this tilting to growth, it was to change the portfolio, recognising that diversity is really important, but also the types of assets that we had, we needed to complement those with others in order to achieve the target returns and order to respond to some of those preferences that the shareholder said. So what 
fidelity, the investment in fidelity represents is in the first instance, a check size. So with a 1.8 billion portfolio, 140 million is a, is a, is a good injection to show that. The second thing, uh, our investment alongside Superfund, so, so in further embedded the relationship that we have. The third is that it was uh, the segment of, of business. The fourth was the, 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 the risk return profile and, uh, and that diversity of the portfolio. Other benefits are that it was a very clear demonstration of where we would invest. And when we signed off our, our SCI recently, the shareholder said, well, can you give us a list of those things that you're going to invest in? And we know where we would like to, but until a transaction arrives and you get through it and it makes all the right sense, until you complete that transaction, we weren't able to say. So it's a great illustration for our shareholder and for those in the tribe to see the direction that we're going in. The final benefit that we get out of it is that the business community will see us in, a, in an, an enhanced light and we will see enhanced opportunities come our way. And we've got half a billion dollars of dry powder to invest. So, you know, we're looking to do another three, four, maybe five mm. of it seems like a great scale purchase. of investments. Yeah, because I mean, life companies have this annual annuity, right? So, yeah. I mean, that it seems such a smart uh, future proofing for future de- generations, uh, which leads me on to your next question, <laughs> eh? <laughs> yeah, speaking of future generations and that long term thinking, which obviously goes into everything that Naitahu does, how, how do you think that that intergenerational approach that an Ewilet business? takes differs from the, quotation marks, normal business? In a, a lot of ways, it's, it's the individual. So if the individual leading the organisation has a, a, a longer-term mindset, then it doesn't matter if you're in a long-term setting or not. Um, so, th- so there's that component. What happens... Well, my observation is that in businesses like Iwi, that is there as a starting point and the thinking about long-term is enhanced and encouraged. So it becomes, rather than um, a specific requirement of the role, it becomes a more natural part of the role in an Iwi context. Mm, Thank you for that. Lots of directors aspire to be on a number of boards eventually in their lifetime. Um, You're obviously there already. How do you manage your multiple responsibilities? How do you run your day? Do you have a method and has it evolved over the years? It's certainly evolved um, and is is involved. (laughs) Uh, So at the start of the career, it was more transactional, more um, specialised, more administrative and uh, so there was certain set things that needed to be done according to a, a, a timetable. Uh, I went through the the time management process and had a diary and used to prepare lots of things. Um, but then when I went into the role of chief executive of Tainui Group Holdings, recognised that if I was going to physically write and prepare in a, in a traditional sense, I wouldn't get as much done as needed to be done in, in my mind. So at that time, uh, put the 
diary to one, diary system to one side and um, relied on those embedded parts like board meetings, uh, like strategic planning sessions, like specific meetings that just need to go in there. Uh, and, and personally, I've got an approach of um, there's a whole lot of stuff that can be done. So it's in, to that extent, it's somewhat chaotic. And there's this filtering process of whatever comes in, if it fits, boom, put it in the diary, let's, let's go. You'd like to use the analogy of uh, the navigator in the waka. Yeah. Explain that yeah. to our listeners. I've, I've just recently been exposed to this and it was a function of us doing our staff survey, uh, Fatumanua, so reaching out to staff, um, asking them to uh, fill in their views of the organisation and the concept of the, the master navigator was presented. And if you think about those many centuries ago that have um, navigated the Pacific with no instrumentation, uh, their concept rather than as we think about going from A to B, their concept is that, and, and you go from A to B, their concept is that the, the navigator is still stationary and everything is coming at them. And the um, ability to be able to navigate, you're relying on signals ahead and beside and around. And uh, uh, just a little story about a master navigator who at one time could see certain things went and laid in the hull of the waka, put the ear to the side of the waka and could sense the pulse of the waves were different and with other signals could identify that there was this huge storm coming. Told the crew, sails down, bolt yourself or strap yourself to the waka. So huge storm came. They survived as a function of being able to read those signals so that sense of there's a whole lot coming at us, some of which are opportunistic things that we should steer towards, some that we should steer away from, some that we should be prepared for in, in particular ways. So that to me was, if, if, if I'd had that concept a little bit earlier, I think I would have been less stressed about just thinking about going from A to B and, and, and finding things along the way that became a problem. So the goal of leadership then is to teach our younger people to read the signals, not manage the inbox, right? <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd love for that to happen. And, yeah. and it's in a sense that you know stuff's going to happen, yeah. right? You can be calm that, that that's just the way things are and, and be able to try a whole bunch of stuff. And from those experiences, knowing that, for example, that cloud formation or the stars in that alignment actually means this because you've seen it before. So it's a combination of having a an open mindset or I've just um, started reading The Infinite Game um, by Simon Sinek and it's ju just that different mindset of how you approach things in an infinite way rather than a finite way. So exactly. You know things will change, you just stand your ground and you think of how you can adapt with things. Yep, yep. And, you know, as a human race, we, we, we've done that. It, it uh, you know, we think about... You know, it's winter time now. So what do we 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 wear things today that that put in a pelt. Yeah, and but but back in the day, you had to adapt to those circum those same circumstances that we have today in a different way. Yeah, but Mike, you know, talking about reading signals and managing inboxes, 
the government and businesses are talking about trying to lift productivity in New Zealand, which is seemingly lower than in many other OECD countries. What do you think, uh, as a leader in many businesses, where do you think we should start? Uh, I was in the dairy industry for 15 and a half years, and what's happened through that time and, and continuation since is that um, you know we have increased our productivity 1% to 2% a year, and, and whether that's by scale, whether that's by breeding, whether that's by farm practices, learning from others, all those sort of things. Uh, the drive towards greater productivity, I, I, I think, is best done at the individual level in a in a NZ Inc versus the rest of the world approach. Mm. I think that's one that mm. we should take advantage of the fact that we are good at a, a bunch of stuff, but we need to continue to be better yeah. if our standard of living is is going to improve mm. from where it is. And I, I think that uh, at the individual level if we can if we can uh, get a better understanding that the individual added to yeah. the well, team it's of one five million one equals five right is is is, yeah. is a great formula for success mm. yeah mm, thank you for that yeah our next question is uh, one that flummoxes a lot of directors um, you know some of your personal tips when confronting a major issue that could potentially turn into a crisis. There's a very big distinction, right? And there's the bury your head in the sand kind of director, and then there's the one that needs to be proactive and find out and reduce the risks. What are your tips for directors? Go back to the instance of the Kaikoura earthquake, and I was on the board of Kiwi Rail at the time, so we, we had a board meeting uh, that was a scheduled board meeting, two weeks after the earthquake. And by that stage, there was sufficient time for the management to uh, have gone down and observed, taken photos, got a a bit of a sense as to um, what the extent of devastation was. So the board came into this board meeting and um, had a briefing uh, and the the chair said uh, and went round the, the table individually um, what do you think? What we should? What should we do? And the collective outcome was that uh, we committed at that stage, and this is November two thousand sixteen, uh, we committed to opening the rail by winter the following year, which I think in previous times would have been unbelievably difficult to achieve. Yeah. Uh, and the context is there were 700 individual pieces of devastation to deal with in that in that space. So a bridge wow. a bridge was was one of those seven, and there were a few bridges, right? So how can you get um, back in that short space of time? So that was a crisis in which the board recognised that this was the lifeline between um, Christchurch and 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 the, the South Island. Uh, connectivity and rail sense with the North Island. Uh, it was uh, an opportunity to demonstrate uh, Kiwi Rail's position in the logistics network in New Zealand. So on those two counts, the board made that commitment. So, you know, talk about what do you do in a crisis, it is uh, to recognise that opportunity that we can show 
the rest of New Zealand that we are an embedded part for the for now and for the future. And in the case of uh, all of the work that that needs to be done, it's enabling the team to do what they yeah, giving are them good the tools, at, right? Yeah. And the and the drive to do it. So how they did that was to uh, to draw on external expertise. We then went through as a board to um, uh, say that this is not a normal piece of work which can be signed off by you and the organisation. So so we actually spent time developing a a significant risk management framework that ensured that um, out of all of what needed to be done could be demonstrated was done Mm. before the board would sign off and allow a train to, to go on that network. The train driver that was caught at the time of the earthquake was the same train driver that drove the first train. Wow. So to the extent that the risk management framework needed to be done to give comfort to that point that he was comfortable that we, we had the right things in place. So I've, I've probably gone a little bit off beam on your on <laughs> no, your no. question, but it's the illustration, or I think, of of the board working together decision with management making. and decision-making and uh, identifying both opportunity and those obligations yeah. that one has. I, I have two, two follow-on questions from that. Um, firstly, do you think that in New Zealand, board members and their management teams are prepared for crises like this. So we've had a number of natural disasters. We've had the COVID pandemic, which is still raging globally. Do you think that boards, management leaders, they're prepared for these kind of situations? I think so. I I think we are um, resilient enough in in our thinking it, it does come back a little bit. We are just a, a, a very small island or set of islands at the, you know, in the Antipodes versus you know the rest of the world. So naturally, we have a, a different frame in which we we think about what we do and, and where we sit in the world. There's there's that I think that influences us. We are less exposed to the hardcore financial markets and drivers, for example, in the in the US, that you've just got to hit your quarterly numbers and it and kind of doesn't matter how you hit them, you just got to hit them, right? We don't have that same level in, of intensity, but when you're talking about being prepared, I think that we out of necessity have had to deal with some things like earthquakes, uh, like world crises that come our way, you know, did we see COVID coming and were we prepared enough to deal with it? Uh, Did we um, see mycoplasma bovis coming and did we deal with it? I think we've we've gained from those experiences. I'd like to think yes. I, I know in a number of boards that I'm on, it is a significant question that we continue to ask ourselves. Uh, business continuity, business continuity planning, and disaster recovery are, are features of uh, agendas on boards that I'm on. And with all of that in mind, I suppose experience and hindsight is always a wonderful thing. Um, but have there been points in your career where you've come 
close to feeling overwhelmed or maybe even scared um, in your position in, in a certain situation? And do you think that that kind of feeling is something that others are feeling and is it something that's increasing with the risks of the various roles? Uh, certainly been uh, scary times, uh, not knowing what the answer is and, and it just hasn't been obvious. But the mind's a very, very, very powerful thing and perhaps if I divert on, off rather to um, uh, I've had lens implants and in my eyes and they can put these things in and adjust one eye for short-sightedness and the other, right? And and the brain just works it all out. So that's an example, I think, of being confronted with something that is challenging, shocking, not being prepared for. And, and what I have found is that uh, both conscious and subconscious work that allows you to feel more comfortable about giving an answer, n- not necessarily straight away, but, uh, you know, in a, in a couple of days to, to find an answer. So the working of both subconscious and, co- and, and consciousness, I think, is a powerful thing. So I've had instances where I've thought, I don't know how, you know, we, we're going to do this or get out of this. And, and then I've, I've looked back and, and realised that the interaction that I've had, for example, with those around me that um, have got pieces of the puzzle that, that help to get to a picture and, and make a decision. That sounds a bit chaotic and a little bit organic. Uh, so is there, a, is there a ready formula? Certainly drawing on, on, on the right advice that you can get at the time is good. Recognising that your brain will be working that's critical, I think, because, mm. you know, DNA insurance is not enough. <laughs> the bottom line <laughs> is you need to surround yourself with people who can help you through the situation and you need to be able to draw on those people at the appropriate time. Mm. So I think, you know, I think you need to prepare for war during peacetime, right? So I think directors like yourselves, you know, the young ones coming up need to start to build those networks now rather than waiting until they're on the board, right? Yep. right? There is that intuition as well that grows over time that, um, you know, whether it's that, you know, master navigator, and I'm not saying that I'm one, but yeah. but I, I have learnt through experience in circumstances that help me get to a point of saying something or making a, making a decision. Yeah. So largely informed, but there's always that, you know, I think intuition at that. In those critical times, that does help and it, yeah. it, it certainly has grown over time. Semi-last question. Um, suggestions for boards who are dealing with questions of implementation, you know, versus strategy. I, I don't know what your ratio is or, you know, directors across the country, but it feels like 50% of stuff works and 50% doesn't, right? What are your tips on that score in terms uh, of implementation? I guess the, a, a couple of instances going into Tainui Group Holdings in, in latterly um, uh, Naitahu, the refresh of strategy um, has been a, a great opportunity to uh, uh, uplift the organisation and try and do that in as simple ways as possible. And, and one of those, for example, when I first went into Tainui Group Holdings in the, in the strategy session that we had with the board, um, used the three horizons in the McKinsey model. 
saying Horizon 1 traditionally is 1 to 2 years, Horizon 2 is 2 to 5, and Horizon 3 is 5 to 10. Well, in an iwi context, our Horizon 3 must be 50 to 100 years. Horizon 2 must be 20 to 50, and Horizon 1, you know, 1 to 20. So those sort of... That changes things. That that, that changes things. (laughs) And then throwing our property portfolio, we only had one in that 50 to 100-year time frame. So if we're going to be true to our multi-generational future generations of of tribal members and management, we need to populate that with more than one. And when you start thinking about the holding costs over 50 years of going and buying, you know, a few hundred hectares on the edge of a city, that also adds another dimension. So in the context of strategizing, it's one thing to say you want to go from a certain size to the next size, but there's a lot about drawing out the collective understanding of the why and what the challenges are, hopefully in some simple ways. And that helps the implementation. That helps the yeah. implementation, right? I think that's a wonderful spot to finish on. Lots to, to think about and take away on that. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. If our listeners want to learn more about you, learn more about Naitahu and the journey you're on, where's the best place for them to go? We are, um, so so go to naitahu.iwi.nz. So we are the commercial arm of Naitahu um, and easily accessible on the web. Beautiful. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Please like, review or share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to follow us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn under Alexander PR or follow the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thank you for listening.